You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, I encourage you to take a Bible tonight if you're at home and encourage you. Hopefully, you've got a Bible. If not, pause it and go grab one and encourage you to look at God's Word as we open it and uh, open a real Bible and uh, get just don't lose, don't lose the, the important habits, the important things we do. Don't lose sight of that, even while things look different. We're going to be in Genesis 39, and we were here last week as well, uh, looking at the life of Joseph. We're going to carry on with some thoughts from his life, and uh, we're not going to read right now. I just want you to be in Genesis 39 here in just a moment. We're going to begin looking at verse 7, and it will be actually in Genesis 39, Genesis 40, Genesis 41, and then over in Genesis 50, and looking at a few, a few times or instances in Joseph's life that I think will be a help to us this evening, and so that's why I encourage you, especially tonight, to have a Bible we'll look at a few places. The last few weeks, we've been dealing with the concept of what we can learn in isolation, and uh, we've been isolated, we've, we've felt the solitude, and, and I'm thankful that here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that we have the freedom if we choose to, to get together, even this past weekend, the freedom to meet. I don't want to take that for granted at all. I know of many other pastors and, and families in other places uh, that their prospects of meeting and getting back together look very dim right now, in, in just even in the next few months. And so be thankful for that. But isolation, you know, we've been in isolation. Many are still in isolation. Many in other places are feeling that solitude and Many people view isolation as a, as a wasted season, that there's not much to learn. But if you look at Scripture, you find out that God actually taught a lot of His, His children good lessons in isolation. Isolation can either teach us important lessons, or it can reveal something important about us that we may not have known before. Last week we began by looking at Joseph's life, and we watched how he dealt with this instance with Potiphar's wife, um, how he operated in isolation. He was isolated in that he had no accountability. There was no one standing over his shoulder telling him how to behave. And yet as a teenager, as a teenager in isolation, uh, he revealed an unwavering commitment to God's righteousness. He revealed an unwavering um, and strong refusal, I should say, to, to, to stay with God to stand with God, to, to follow the Lord. He, was, he said, I refuse to compromise. I, I stand with unwavering conviction with God. And it's interesting, the Bible is so interesting. We get these inside glimpses into people's lives. It's almost as if we get to be a fly on the wall and just observe what otherwise would never maybe be known to us. And as I was reading this and thinking that Joseph passed this test, uh, of, of us being getting to be the fly on the wall and observe an instance in his life. Aren't you thankful we're not the ones having our every word and deed recorded for all the world to read about or see later? I'm certainly thankful. I, I was thinking about that this week and I was driving down the road and doing something weird and who knows what I was doing. And, and I was just thinking, you know, I was thinking, you know what, I'm glad that most of the people that I know don't see me when I'm by myself and being weird. You know, I don't know if you're like that, but I can be, I can talking funny voices or add commentary to what's going on around me. And I'm just, 
No, I'm glad that I'm not Joseph, having my every act and deed and word recorded for people to read about. Uh, I think I'd probably be at least embarrassed, but oftentimes even ashamed. Because here's a man that we see everything about his life, and yet in every instance, he stood with God. See, our moments of solitude reveal the true us. Isolation is a bright light and a clean mirror. Joseph's character was revealed by who he was in solitude. And the same is true for us. Don't assume that the real you is what other people see when you're in public. No, the most accurate look into who you are comes when you're all by yourself. The last couple of months have been an accurate look at who you really are. Joseph passed the test. Even in isolation, he was a godly young man who operated by God's meaning for his life instead of his own meaning or somebody else's meaning for his life. And that's kind of the train of thought that I want to hop on this evening is that Joseph had a mindset that he included God's meaning for his life in every situation he faced. He, he was always considering what God's meaning for that moment was, was supposed to look like. And we'll, and we'll review this instance here in Genesis 39. And I want to remind you about what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife. It says in verse 7, Genesis 39, 7. It says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph here is tempted with a situation that would have been difficult for any young man in that situation. Think about this. His brothers had forsaken him. He likely thought he would never see his father again. He is a slave He had simply tried to do right and he'd been treated terribly. His biggest wrong was that his father loved him more than his brothers and so his brothers hated him for it. And he's lost everything. And so I I can imagine that many people in this situation would think, well, what's stopping me from doing whatever I want to do? There's no reason for me to hold anything back anymore. Nothing, there's nothing. For Joseph, what was holding him back? What was stopping him from doing what he wanted to do, what he probably was tempted to do? Well, nothing external was stopping him. There's no accountability. There's no one standing over his shoulder saying that would be wrong in God's eyes. He lives in an immoral society now in Egypt. They probably don't even know what godly morals are. So what stops him? Well, his own view of God does. See, somehow he was so strongly convinced that God is holy and God sees everything we do and every sin that we commit is against God that it became a pattern of thought that he applied in this real life situation. Again, think about that. Here's his pattern, at least what seems to be his pattern of thinking. God is holy. God sees everything I do. Every sin is against God. Therefore, I will not commit this great wickedness and sin against God. That's some pretty good thinking from, a, from an unaccountable teenager. I mean, in this moment, Potiphar's wife was trying to get Joseph to live according to her meaning for that moment, 
But Joseph's thought pattern was so set that even in a situation which no one else would ever know about, Joseph chose to live according to God's meaning in that moment. His his thoughts remembered God in every situation and his actions followed suit. This pattern of living, of thinking and living every moment in God's meaning or for God's meaning shows up again and again for Joseph, in Joseph's life. And so stay with me. We'll get to the application that I think is going to be a real help tonight if you'll stick it out. I just want to see the pattern in Joseph's life. Turn to Genesis chapter 40, next chapter over, and look at verse 5. Again, living according to God's meaning no matter the situation. Here's Joseph, and as we know, because he, he, uh, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he was thrown into prison. In verse 5 of chapter 40, it says, And they, and that they is talking about the butler and the baker, and they had been thrown into prison because they had done something to offend Pharaoh. And look what it says. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, the butler and the baker, each man his dream, and one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Well, they're in prison. So, yeah, they should, they should be sad. But he notices it's not just normal sadness. Look what it says. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of, the, of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We've dreamed a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me then, or tell me them, I pray you. So again, Joseph is, is the kind of man that's blessed everywhere he went. Even in prison, the prisoner, the prison keeper put him over the prisoners. So his job is to look out for the prisoners. It's his job to notice their conditions and notice what's going on. But he doesn't just take care of their physical needs. He notices it even when they're sad, he's paying attention. And he notices the butler and the baker who are in prison because they'd done something wrong to Pharaoh. Even if it was small, we don't know what it was. It's his job to watch for them. But he's so attentive, attentive, I should say, and he's so perceptive that he has concern for them and their sadness, their countenance. He inquires, he says, what's going on? Why are you sad? They both tell him that they've had a dream. The butler has a dream about a vine and grapes. And in his dream, he's giving Pharaoh a drink. And so Joseph listens and interprets. And he gives that the interpretation of the dream means that, that he will be then restored back to his position in Pharaoh's house and to the palace. And he will have his job back again within three days. The baker hears that. The baker's thinking, oh, that's good news. Well, mine's good news too. Uh, and so he gives his dream and he's got these baskets, three baskets on his head and they're full of food for Pharaoh and there's birds eating out of the basket. And in his mind, he's thinking that's got to be a good interpretation too, right, Joseph? Well, Joseph has an opposite interpretation for the baker. He says, basically, your dream means that in three days you will be hung for offending Pharaoh. I'm not sure how you sugarcoat that. He just comes right out and tells him. So we can add first, add dream interpretation to Joseph's long list of talents, obviously. But what does Joseph, though, do in before he even interprets the dreams? He makes a statement that, again, shows us that he is living his life according to God's meaning. Look again at the end of verse 8. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. So yet again, we see this young and unaccountable 
When I say unaccountable, nobody's keeping him accountable. We see this young, unaccountable teenager that nobody's telling him what to do. Nobody's telling him how to live. Nobody's telling him to do right. And yet in a situation in which he's been thrown in prison and he could be angry at God for all that has happened to him, even in prison, he's trying to live his life according to God's meaning. He says dreams and interpretations, they belong to God. His first thought is always God. His first thought is always, what's God's meaning in this situation? Look again, Genesis 41. Let's move over to the next chapter and begin reading in verse 14. Genesis 41, 14. There's another situation. This is after Pharaoh has had a dream. If you know your your Bible, you know that Pharaoh has a dream and these seven healthy cows um, have been consumed by uh, seven lean cows and no one can interpret the dream for him. So the baker, then after two years, he hears about the dream. And after two years, he's been restored to his place. He finally remembers, oh yeah, Joseph, the guy back in prison who interpreted my dream over two years ago. I bet he could help Pharaoh. So look, at this is after Joseph's been restored and he's going to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. We're skipping a lot, but look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. And I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered, look at his answer, I love it. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Two years in prison forgotten He gets called up and cleaned up and he's standing before Pharaoh. And what's the first thought on Joseph's mind after he is asked about interpreting a dream? He says, oh yeah, I'm really good at dreams. Let me interpret this. No, he says, God, it's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You see it again? Do you see the pattern? Joseph's thought pattern always includes God. His private patterns... His patterns of thought, they become public. And in public, he's still talking about God. He's seeking God's meaning in every situation. And it's not the last time we see it. Turn over to Genesis 50. Genesis 50, I know I have you turning a lot tonight. But I just want you to see this pattern. And then we'll make some application. Genesis 50. It says in verse 15. So this is, we've skipped so much of the story. But this is after uh, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They go back, they get Jacob. They bring Jacob and everybody back to Egypt. Jacob, Israel, the whole family, they're all living in Egypt now. And Jacob has died. Look at verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they, spoke, when they spake unto him. It's interesting. So basically his brothers, after they see that Jacob has died, in their minds they're thinking the only reason Joseph hasn't killed all of us for, for selling him to the Ishmaelites as a slave. The only reason he hasn't killed all of us is because Jacob's still alive, our father's still alive. And then after he dies, they're thinking, there's no reason 
Joseph doesn't, just doesn't come through and wipe us all out. So they, they kind of go to, to, Jake, to Joseph and they're basically saying, please have mercy on us. Our father Jacob, he asked if you would forgive us. We beg you for your forgiveness. Basically, we're your servants. It says they, fall, they fell down at his, at his feet uh, before his face in verse 18. They fell down before his face and they said, behold, we be thy servants. They're humbling themselves. They know that if Joseph chose to, he could just like that take all of them out because they had wronged him so badly. What's interesting is, again, we see the pattern of Joseph's thinking. Look at verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Do you see the pattern? I hope you're seeing the pattern here. Is that in every situation, Joseph's thought process was not about the meaning that others meant for him or the meaning that, that if someone else was trying to get him to do something for them. No, his meaning was always, no, what does God see? What is God's perspective? What is his meaning in all of this? He comes here and he says, God is holy. God is the judge. I'm not even God. He, he's going to operate according to God's meaning again. Look at verse 20 and what he says. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. So here he is. He tells them, he says, your meaning for my life is that you were trying to hurt me. You were trying to, you were trying to let evil come upon me. You thought evil against me. His brother's meaning for Joseph was evil. Their meaning was harm that that would come to Joseph. But he basically then tells them, but I don't operate according to your meaning. I didn't operate, I didn't operate according to Potiphar's wife's meaning. I didn't operate according to my own thoughts when I was in prison and was trying to interpret dreams. I didn't operate according to my own thoughts or my own meaning or the baker's meaning for forgetting me. I didn't operate according to anybody's meaning. Even when I stood before Pharaoh, I was not looking to please Pharaoh. I was trying to live my life according to God's meaning. And I, I, didn't, I never have operated according to anybody's meaning that wanting to harm me. And that includes yours, my own brothers. I live before God. His meaning for my life is what matters the most. And look what he says in verse 20, the, the second half. See, your meaning was evil, but God meant, God's meaning. God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God's meaning for all of this to happen to me, it was not evil but good. And that's what I choose to embrace. He has turned my trials into something very positive in that many people will be and have been saved because I was in God's place, the right place at the right time. And including you guys, I, my, my actions, my being in the prison and then brought to the palace, my actions, God placing me there, saved your lives too. My brothers, verse 21, now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. This is incredible. He said, don't, don't be afraid. I mean, I'm not God. I will not, uh, I will not respond in kind to the way you've treated me. I'm living for God's meaning. And God wanted me uh, to be in this position so that good would come upon you. I will take care of your needs. I will take care of your children. And it says he comforted them with kindness. See, here's the point that I want, I want to get to here is that, that we need to see in Joseph's life. Who he was in isolation determined who he was in public. 
What he did behind closed doors was an indicator of how he would be when he was standing before other people. His practices in solitude led to his practices in community. And I'm going to say it this way. This is the way that I would like for you to remember it tonight. Private patterns become public practices. Private patterns become public practices. See, you could have predicted Joseph's response to his brothers based on his response. Think about this. If all you had seen was, if you got a glimpse, you were the fly on the wall, and you got a glimpse at Joseph inside Potiphar's house and his response to Potiphar's wife, and then you watched him in prison and his response to the butler and baker and talking about God, and then his response standing before Pharaoh and thinking about God, you could have predicted that Joseph's practice in public would have followed those same patterns that those, those private patterns, those thought patterns in private, you could have assumed they would also translate and become what he was in public. See, we, who we are in solitude determines who we become in community. Who we are in private will be what determines what we become in public. Our public pr- patterns become, I'm sorry, our private patterns become public practices. And so I I was thinking about some, some private patterns, some thought patterns even. And I was thinking, well, some people, their thought pattern, their private pattern in thinking about God can be faulty in that sometimes about God, they tend to go to things like, well, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. He's not going to help me in this situation. And we have to fight against those kinds of thought patterns in isolation because they will impact our public patterns, our public, uh, our public practices. See, if you think less of God than he really is, that will begin to show up in how committed you are to his house. If you think less of God in private and you doubt God and doubt his love or you doubt his ability in private, it will show up in, in how you serve in a church, how faithful you, faithfully you attend. It will, it will affect how engaged you are with your church family. If anyone could have assumed that God doesn't care or love me, care for or love me, it was Joseph. If anybody could have sat down in the bottom of that pit or in Potiphar's house, or in that prison and thought, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not watching me anymore. It was Joseph. But he never allowed the faulty thought pattern to enter into his mind and stray from what was true about God. He never gave up his pattern of thinking about God to follow his present emotions. He stayed committed because his private thought patterns about God were correct. And they showed up in how he dealt with others in public. I'm thinking about thought patterns about other people too. You know, isolation, and and this is going to be, I'm just going to be transparent. Isolation tends to make us assume the worst in people sometimes. When we're by ourselves and we haven't said or seen somebody in a while, we tend to begin reading into maybe something they texted. 
We assume something about them because we haven't heard from them and our, our minds race and our thought patterns uh, begin to dwell on things that we assume are, are wrong or faulty and we may not even be accurate. We replay conversations over in our minds about other people. We assume, well, they're upset because of this look on their face or they were being critical because of what they said. And it happens to all of us. It happens to the best of us. I've seen relationships deteriorate simply because of wrong assumptions. They had very little to do with reality, but because somebody in their private pattern has a faulty way of thinking, then it starts to show up in their public practices. Listen, you cannot think poorly of someone else for any length of time without it affecting how you treat them face to face. When someone lashes out, or someone presents a critical spirit uh, about you or to you, I can assure you that they've run through that scenario as a private thought pattern probably countless times. And we have to be careful in isolation when we can't see somebody's face and we're not around them, that we have to be careful uh, to not assume the worst about them. To not let our pattern, our thought pattern, our private patterns take us to a place where in our minds... We have, we have assumed this person, this is what they meant, and we go down a road where we're angry, and they've never even done anything to deserve it. My wife and I joke about that sometimes, that how, you know, if I leave in the morning and I, and I don't say uh, goodbye in a certain way, or I forget to hug her, or, you know, in her mind, then she's washing dishes, and, and for an hour on end, she's thinking about how I'm mad at her now, and she's replaying this thing in her mind and and she's thinking well he's mad I've done something to upset him and by the end of the day I walk in the door and she doesn't want to hug me because she's mad at me for something she made up about me all day and I'm not saying that men can't do that but men don't normally think that deeply they just kind of move along (laughs) now we're probably not as guilty women be careful of assuming that that a tone of voice or, or a missed opportunity to say goodbye, or, or a text that you didn't get, or a missed phone call, or, or maybe a cold shoulder, a perceived cold shoulder, doesn't turn you into, into somebody that has a thought pattern about somebody. Um, because if you think poorly about somebody for too long, that will become public. Private patterns become public practices. You can't think poorly about somebody for too long without it starting to affect how you, uh, how you treat them the next time you see them. Some people have poor thought patterns so about God and about others and also about yourself. See, many people, they're good at convincing themselves of things about themselves that aren't even true. Just just speaking with people even even recently about things they're dealing with and and their messages, the the voices, the the personal uh, message, the, the conversations they're having with themselves are saying things like, I'm not good enough and I've sinned too much and Nobody loves me and I'm not worth it. And they very often begin acting in ways that don't consider God at all. Very, very often they, uh, they stop living according to what his meaning for their life is because they have a faulty, faulty thought pattern. They give up completely or they try harder in their own strength to please God. And so they work more and they add more to their plate and they strive to please everybody else, but they're never content because they're, they're not letting God's meaning determine how they live. They're not living by faith, as we sung, or sang earlier. 
They're not thinking about God at all. They're just trying to please Him in their own strength and with their own efforts. And that's not living according to God's meaning. When, when you have a faulty thought pattern about yourself, you start living according to your meaning and you start making up the ways that God would be pleased with you in your religious life and I've got to do more and I've got to please Him and I've got to fix myself and I've got to make sure I make up for all of my mistakes. That's not how God, God works. God's meaning is a meaning of mercy and grace and rest in His strength, not in our strength. And it's all because this faulty Wrong private pattern of thinking has defined who they are in public now. They don't see themselves accurately. And instead of living to please God because He matters the most, they forget He's even watching and they live according to some warped expectation that God never meant for us to try to meet. Private patterns become public practices. This is a good lesson for all of us. I'm going to talk to the kids for just a minute tonight. Uh, you kids, even here in the room and in uh, those listening at home, uh, I'm thinking about things that you do uh, as a child. Uh, I'm thinking about school. You know, private, private practices, or private, I keep saying it wrong, private patterns become public practices. You know, how you treat your schoolwork, especially right now, some of you, you're, you're staying home, you're doing your work at home, and you haven't done homeschool before, and it's different. Listen, your study habits Right now, what you do in private, those patterns, they will show up when it's time to take the test. They will show up when you start looking at your GPA and your test scores and getting your assignments done. Kids, I want to encourage you. These private patterns that you're doing when nobody's really looking over your shoulder, they will be revealed in how well you start doing on tests and, and how good you do in school. I want to encourage you, even in your schoolwork, to let your private patterns Act as if they're going to become public practices and treat your private patterns like they're that important. I think about sports and music. You know, just in sports, I've, I've, I remember an NBA basketball player years ago, somebody asked him about practice and he just was scornful. Practice? It's just practice. Practice doesn't matter. No, practice does matter. Your private patterns will become your public practices. How hard you work in private will show up uh, how, uh, in how you play on the on the basketball court or in sports. I'm thinking about music too. We got a lot of young children in our, in our church and teenagers even taking lessons. Your diligence in practice when no one's watching will determine how effective you are when you play before somebody else or sing before somebody else. But it's not just for, for children, it's for adults too. And not just in our thought life. I'm thinking about adults at work. Your diligence to think ahead or improve in an area, it will show up in crunch time or it will show up in an evaluation. If you do something for long enough in private, it will eventually become public. I think about marriages that I've seen um, in the, over the years, I've seen marriages crumble and no one had any idea. And, and a, lot of, a lot of times, times people will say, well, that was just out of the blue or that came out of nowhere. But no, marriages never crumble out of the blue. See, private patterns that no one else saw, they deteriorated long before that became public. But at that point, it was almost too late. And I encourage those uh, that are married, listen, your marriage is not successful just because other people perceive it to be successful. The private patterns that are taking place, 
behind closed doors, that's the indicator. And if those things, if there's red flags in your private patterns, it will someday be public. I want to encourage you, if those aren't strong, that's an indicator of what lies ahead publicly. And it's time to shore those things up. Let's make sure we're on the same page. It happens in our walk with God too. Spiritual casualties, folks, they don't happen overnight. Spiritual casualties, this is not just something that happens just like that. No, when you don't walk with the Lord for long enough in private, it will show up in public. Spiritual casualties are a result of a period of time that includes lots of private neglect. Listen, you cannot live that way for very long before the private patterns become public practices. I think about our families right now, and and I'm not saying online services have been easy or even preferable, but what you do, what what does your private pattern in how you're faithful to services as a family, moms and dads and kids, how how does that show up? These last few weeks, uh, what does that say about what you'll do when the services are all public again? I remember after a few weeks of, of watching the services, one, one day we came out and the kids, uh, we typically will, will dress up a little bit and be ready for the service. And, and one day uh, the kids just kind of came out dressed as they were, they're kind of rolling in a little bit late. They weren't bringing their Bibles. And I said, no, we, no listen, if we want to have a, a meaningful time together when, it's, when we get back together as a church family, we're not going to treat the private services like this. So we stopped the service, had them all go get ready like we normally do and come back out. It's easy for those things to start to slip as a family. Our commitment to watching is a private pattern. And if you're already weary of online services after two months or so to the point that you're not faithful even watching anymore, even though it's as convenient as it can be, it is. What does that indicate about your public practice when we go back to live services again, and three different times a week, you've got to get up, get ready, get dressed, leave in time to, to be here early uh, and, and be engaged the whole service. What does that say? Like if we aren't able then to maintain it on a private level, who are we to think that we can do it on a public level? This applies to every part of our lives, folks. Our public success or failure will be determined by the strength of our private patterns. Isolation is helpful in that it reveals our private patterns before they become public. And you say, well, I don't really like to, I don't really want to know. I kind of want to be, you know, left in the dark. I don't like to examine. No, your private patterns are there for you to examine because if you will examine them, it gives you an opportunity to get them right before someday they go public. Before your patterns that you thought were hidden, it will someday be revealed in public. And they are, that is an act of God's mercy to let you see where you are. Isolation is a mirror, a bright light and a clean mirror to help you see here's where you really are. And before it affects something in a big way in public, it's time to get these things right on a private level. It's time to change some of our private patterns. You see, a diligent Christian will take inventory of faulty private patterns and change them before they become failing public practices. Let me say that one more time because that's really the takeaway. A diligent Christian will take inventory of faulty private patterns and change them before they become failing 
public practices. What has isolation taught you about your private patterns? The way that you think. Your, your discipline or lack of discipline in your schedule. Your diligence at work. Your diligence at study, kids. Or practicing your instruments. Your spirit towards someone else. Have you in your mind worked something up about somebody else in this time of private patterns? That you're, that you're almost, you don't even know if you could speak to them kindly when you see them next and they may have no idea. Your walk with God. What is isolation revealed about your private pattern in your walk with God? If we could predict Joseph's actions in public based on his patterns in private, what do your private patterns predict about you in the coming months? Because they will directly impact your public practices. Private patterns equal public practices or private patterns become public practices. I just want to say I'm thankful to the Lord for this isolated, unaccountable teenager who's been a great example for me. He's young, unaccountable, isolated, and yet we see how his private patterns turned into great public practices. God blessed him with public, public things, public blessings because of what he did in private. And I believe that God has those kind of public blessings available for us. And he's just waiting to see if we'd be willing to change a few private patterns. What are you going to miss out on in public or in community or with other people or to be a blessing or have an extended reach in other people's lives? What are you going to miss because you're not willing to shore up some areas in private, those private patterns that are tripping you up? You can't hide them forever. They will eventually become public. And I'm going to encourage you to take inventory of faulty private patterns and change them before they become failing public practices. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.